Well, good morning, church. Man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today, is it not? I am so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that I'm here. Uh, we've got a special day today, and uh, excited to, to dive into that. As we do, I want to do something I'm not sure we've done before. Uh, so this is a little new. Some of you are already kind of on edge hearing me say that. Um, but it's, it's easy. We're just going to do a scripture reading right now as we open this sermon time, as we look to God's word. Let's do so by reading this beloved psalm, Psalm 23, together out loud. The words are going to be on the screen, and I just want everybody to be able to participate in this. So if you'd be willing, let's read this together. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that wasn't too hard, was it? Good job. You guys sounded really good. Now, this has been called the Shepherd Psalm uh, by many, and today we're focusing in our God is series on how God is the Good Shepherd. He's the Good Shepherd. And we see in this psalm, we see qualities of a Good Shepherd, particularly in the first four verses. Some commentaries have pointed out that the first four verses deal with that shepherd-sheep relationship, and that verse 5 and 6 actually are more of a host role for God, to host us at this table. These aren't things that sheep necessarily do. They don't go into the master's table. And so it's personalizing that relationship with God as a gracious host to us. But in these verses, we see in verse 1, provision. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He provides everything I need. In verse 2, we see him compelling the sheep to do things, right? Making them lie down, leading them. In verse 3, we see him refreshing his sheep and guiding his sheep. Verse 4, he stays with his sheep. He doesn't send them off on their own into danger. He's with them and present among them. He gives them comfort and protects them. And then as it transitions into verse 5 and 6 into that host relationship, we find that, that the good shepherd is a very gracious host to us. He honors us. He anoints us. He overwhelms us with his love and provision in the presence of our enemies. He raises us up. And in verse 6, he's a dwelling place of goodness and love forever that he invites us to be a part of. And so I think as, look at, as we look at this psalm, we can see that shepherds have tremendous influence in the lives of their sheep. Look at all these things that they do. And by, con by comparison, God is to have the same level of influence in our lives as a shepherd does in the lives of their sheep. To be a provider, to be a leader, to be a protector, to refresh us and guide us, to comfort us, to honor us, anoint us, and be our dwelling place. God is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, God, does all of these things, and he does them perfectly, and he does them from pure motives for our benefit, for our good. In fact, Jesus, who was God himself, come to us in human form, the Messiah of Israel. He said at one pivotal point in his ministry, in John 10, 11, he de 
declare to his audience, to the people, to anyone who would listen, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so Jesus personified God in that role of a good shepherd, and he demonstrated the the depth to which God will go to save his sheep, to protect his sheep, to lead his sheep, to guide his sheep, laying down his life for his sheep. Now, interestingly enough, this is not a new concept with Jesus. We see this, and it's not even new in Psalm 23. We see throughout the Old Testament examples of God positioning himself as a shepherd to his people, Israel, that he would lead and guide them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day as they went through the wilderness, that he would lead and guide them and protect them from the armies that would come against them. We see in multiple Psalms that he positions himself as a shepherd over his sheep. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel all give language to this idea of God being a shepherd for his sheep and the people of God being the sheep of God. After Jesus, in Hebrews and in 1 Peter, this language is is attributed to God and to Jesus as well, that great shepherd of the sheep. And so it's crystal clear that God has always wanted to be in this relationship with us. Even back to the Garden of Eden, before the fall, we're told that he walked with them in the cool of the day. And he sought them after the fall. He's always wanted to be in this role with us because he knows that we need him. Just as a shepherd knows that his sheep need him. He knows that we are vulnerable without him. He knows that we're prone to go astray, to wander off into deep peril. And he desperately wants us to dwell with him forever. He is the good shepherd. Interestingly enough, he also delegates and appoints the roles of shepherds to what he calls in Scripture under-shepherds, shepherds that come under the leadership of God, under the shepherdship of God. And he creates these relationships and he appoints under-shepherds to serve his people, to, to be leaders and protectors and guides over the people of God. In fact, there's a place in Ezekiel chapter 34 where God's pretty upset with his under-shepherds. You can read that chapter. There's a scathing rebuke of these under-shepherds, these spiritual leaders. And in ancient Israel, there wasn't really a distinguishing factor made between spiritual leadership and secular leadership. It was all spiritual leadership. So the spiritual leaders, the priests, those that spoke on behalf of God to the people of God, were abusing their role They were profiting from the sheep. They were were taking from the sheep. They were feasting on the sheep, he says. And he is not happy at all about it. In fact, he says, I will be their shepherd. You have failed. I will be their shepherd. And commentaries agree this is pointing to Jesus. This is pointing to a promise that he will come and will shepherd his people Israel. And we see the fulfillment of that promise in John 10, 11, when Jesus stands before the people and says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And so last week, we talked about God as the just and the justifier, that he is just because of the cross, because Jesus satisfied the payment for our sins, the penalty for our sins. He's just to justify us and to make us right with God. And we talked about this idea that only Jesus can make us right with God. 
Only Jesus can bring us into a right standing, a right relationship with God. So that's our good shepherd laying down his life for us, bringing us into the family of God, into an inheritance from God himself. And we enter into that relationship through faith. We talked about that a fair amount last week as well. If you missed last week, you might want to go back and and watch that. If you have somebody that struggles to understand the Christian gospel, what is really going on, that would be a good message to share with them to help them understand all that is taking place in the person of Jesus. But we enter into that relationship with Jesus through faith, and that's when we receive redemption. That's when the title over our life changes, and we are no longer laid claim by this world, by sin and death. We step into a relationship with the living God through Jesus himself, through faith in Jesus, and now we have a title as son or daughter of God, an inheritance that goes with that. And we begin a new life, and we begin a relationship with Jesus, and we begin the process of discipleship, where we become like Jesus. We become disciples of Christ. And so, when we talk about discipleship, that's where the rubber meets the road, because because we're trying to be shepherds under the good shepherd, right? And we're learning from him. We're following his lead. We're becoming apprentices of Jesus, understudies of Jesus. Because as God is the good shepherd and he is appointed under shepherds, our bottom line today that will kind of carry us through this message is this idea that the good shepherd wants us to be good shepherds. The good shepherd, the Son of God, wants us to be disciples and learners of him so that we can then be good shepherds to those that would come under our spiritual influence, those that would come under our leadership, those in our families, those in our workplaces, those in our neighborhoods, in our community, that we would be under the leadership of the good shepherd and we would be good shepherds. And we would point people to Christ and we would represent him well. You see, Jesus made disciples. So should we. We should do what we see the good shepherd doing. Jesus leveraged his influence, his strength, his power, his giftings to benefit others, to benefit those around us. That's what a good shepherd does. He doesn't take from, he gives to. And so he becomes our model, he becomes our example. We should do those things as well. And Paul talked about this a number of different times in his letters, and I think the clearest is in Romans chapter 12. Seems like we've been in and out of Romans a number of times in this series. But if you want to turn to Romans chapter 12, page 1764, there's a discussion there of spiritual gifts that Paul is talking about to the church at Rome. And he explains that in other places in here as well, that our spiritual gifts are not primarily for us. They're primarily for the body, for the people around us, for the others within the fellowship of Christ in a specific area. And so if you apply that to Linwood Wesleyan Church, there are spiritual gifts. Everybody has at least one. Most of you have several. And those spiritual gifts are not meant just for you. They're meant for the people around you as well. That when we all come together in the combination of all of our spiritual gifts, we have a fully orbed fully fleshed out, fully spiritually gifted community and family of families. And so in this section, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And I want to read this to you, verses 6 through 8, where he explains, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. 
If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, it's interesting. This is just a partial list. There's other lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and, and these other areas. But in this list, he's talking about these things. And as I was reading through those this week and preparing for this message, I thought, you know, Jesus did all these things perfectly, didn't he? he? He prophesied perfectly. He spoke the words of God perfectly. He served. He taught. He encouraged. He gave. He led. He showed mercy. He did all of these things perfectly and is our model in life as we seek to do this. Not everybody has all of them, but everybody has at least one of them, and most people have several. And so I want to focus today for the remainder of our time on the third phrase in verse 8. The third phrase in verse 8 says, If it is to lead, if your spiritual gift is to lead, do it diligently. Do it diligently. Because I believe leadership matters. I think leadership matters a lot. It matters to God. It matters to his people. And it matters to the people that his people lead, doesn't it? And so if we're all good, if we're all under shepherds, if we're all under the good shepherd, seeking to be good shepherds, our leadership matters. And you might think, well, I'm not a leader, Pastor Mark. But in reality, leadership is influence. For better or worse, leadership is influence. I think John Maxwell has probably said that most famously defined leadership as influence. And I would add to that that good leadership is intentional, consistent, positive influence. That good leadership is it's not hit and miss. There's consistency. There's intentionality with it. And it has a positive influence on those that are being led. Bad leadership, on the flip side of that, would have a negative influence, or it would be very inconsistent, unintentional. It would come and go. It would pop up and pop back down. It would not necessarily have a consistent, positive influence on the people who are being led. So our leadership should have a positive influence on the people that we lead for it to be good leadership. You cannot look at Jesus and say that his leadership did not have a positive influence on the people he led. 2,000 years later, Estimated 3 billion followers later, he's still influencing people because he was and is the good shepherd. And if we are to come under him, then we should seek to surround ourselves with good leaders and to be good leaders ourselves, to follow good leadership and to provide good leadership in our lives and with our lives. And I think we should also focus on leading others well, whether that's a spiritual gift of ours or not. Whether that you take a gifts assessment and it shows you as leadership is one of your top three, or maybe leadership's one of your bottom three. Because generally speaking, we all lead something, don't we? And this doesn't diminish leadership. This raises up the value of leadership. The idea that we all lead something because we all lead someone. At least one person. Even if nobody else looks to you and you don't influence anybody else's life, you have tremendous influence over that person looking back at you in the mirror, don't you? And depending on family, extended family, neighbors, coworkers, others that might look to you for influence, you may or may not have the spiritual gift of leadership. But your leadership matters either way. 
And so as we move this to specifically address those who have the spiritual gift of leadership, be reminded that leadership is not for you to have a position and to have authority and to, to take from those that you lead as if you're at the top of a pyramid. Ezekiel 34, Jesus himself models that we put ourselves at the bottom and we serve as leaders. We're there to benefit and use the strength and, and the gifting that we have to benefit those around us through our leadership. But if we look at what Paul has to say, Apostle Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, when he talks about leadership, it's interesting. He says, if it is leadership, if that's your spiritual gift, lead diligently. One translation says, lead with all diligence. And I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul focuses not on who we lead or what we lead, but how we lead. He says we should lead diligently. And I think this underscores the truth that size doesn't determine our obedience in the area of leadership. The size of what we lead or the number of people that we lead, it's how we lead that determines. Whether or not we lead diligently. Whether or not we lead with all diligence. And so it's important to understand what that word means. When we talk about leading diligently, we're talking about leading with zeal with passion, with earnestness, with enthusiasm. Those are all ways that that original Greek root word can be translated. Some have to do with haste, and so we don't wait around. We don't get lazy. We don't do this inconsistently or half-heartedly or selfishly. We choose to quickly obey. We lead with diligence. We lead with zeal and passion and earnestness. We consistently choose the better over the merely good. We choose the best over the better whenever we can. And we seek to influence the lives of those around us. And so all of this is why we have a Summit Sunday. All of this is why we are hosting the Global Leadership Summit here in our church on August 3rd and 4th. That's why we're doing this, because leadership matters. It matters so much. The church is Jesus' plan A. There really is no plan B. He has set it up as the hope of the world. The church is the delivery system for the good news of Jesus Christ. To go and make disciples of all nations and to teach them to obey everything that he has commanded. And so that's why we're hosting the Global Leadership Summit. Because we want to raise up local leaders. We want to raise up leaders within our congregation and within our community to reach the people in our community, to be good shepherds because the good shepherd wants us to be good shepherds. And this falls right in line with our core value of leaving a legacy of faith, that we want to intentionally steward the influence that we have to create multi-generational family of families. And we see this happening. And that's why I was so blessed when, when I came back from the Global Leadership Summit in Chicago this past year and had been given the opportunity that, that they needed a host site in Sioux Falls. And I had experienced being a host site leader in other churches. And so there were some things that seemed to be dovetailing, but I said, I've got to talk to my staff and my board because this is a lot of work and there's some expense involved. And I want to make sure that this isn't just my little dream that everybody has to get on board with. And so I soft sold it <laughs> to our staff and to our board. And they all just leaned in and said, yeah, we need to do this for our community. We need to make sure that a community like Sioux Falls has a global leadership summit where people who can't afford to get on a plane and fly to Chicago can get a two-day leadership 
intensive experience right here in their own community, networking with other leaders, growing with other leaders. And so we took the plunge and we're diving in. And so as we sort of transition here, if you're not familiar with the Global Leadership Summit, there's a little video here that I want to share with you to give you a little bit of a taste of that. And then we've got a special guest with us today, and he's going to join us. We're going to do some Q&A. So uh, go ahead and roll that video, and we will transition over there. What could you do with two days? When it comes to how you spend your time, you want to be intentional, impactful, inspiring. You want your investment to be worth it. The Global Leadership Summit is two days to unplug from the everyday, to refuel, refocus, and gain practical skills to level up your leadership. The Global Leadership Summit gathers in locations across the world. This is a community of people dedicated to investing in themselves. Curious, growth-minded leaders sharing inspiring moments that have a transformative impact on your heart and mind. The Global Leadership Summit is two days of renowned speakers, uniquely curated thought leaders from every industry. Gain tools that challenge you to amplify your influence and equips you to lead where you are. This investment in your leadership now will create exponential dividends in your future. I'm joined this morning by our mayor here in Sioux Falls, Paul Tenhaken, and uh, he's a local leader. Let's give him a welcome Thank and uh, round of applause. He's joined by his beautiful family here as well, and uh, he's a local leader and a pretty prominent one, but also a fellow believer, yeah. and uh, that was one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you. Not only is he a local leader and a fellow believer, but he's going to be on the summit stage himself. Most of that conference is live streamed in from Chicago, but they've opened up a local session where we can turn it over to a local leader and allow them to speak on the subject of leadership. And so we're excited uh, to join you and have you join us with that. I wanted to kind of kick things off on a little Q&A and just help us understand how you have integrated faith and leadership in your role here. Well, thank, thanks for having me. And, and to your church, thanks for hosting the summit. I mean, there is a, uh, there's a shortage of faith-based leaders uh, in our world right now. And so I think when you bring a summit like this into a church uh, and bring people in the community to have uh, some sessions like that in the church, I think it's very powerful. Uh, for me personally, uh, my faith has been the driving factor behind why I'm even doing this work. Uh, and kudos to your church for inviting a politician to come to <laughs> church because... Sometimes politicians aren't seen as uh, people that you want to have in front of a, a congregation, in front of a church. Um, but for me, uh, God has, uh, ha has called me to do this, this work in the city. And a lot of times we're supposed to keep that faith and, uh, and, and church and political life separate. Uh, for me, I feel uh, almost the opposite, that it's, uh, they're intertwined. Uh, I can't just put my faith on the sideline and then focus on the city and say, well, I, I got to be careful and not talk too much God talk in the city because I don't want to offend anybody. I think God's calling us to actually do the opposite of that. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's like you can't separate a part of your personality. When you go out to your kid's baseball game, you're still Mark the pastor, and you can't just put that on the sideline. And for me, I'm still Paul, a child of God, and a guy who was called to do this work even when I'm serving as a leader of the city. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And 
And I think that kind of sets up the next question. We've been talking about diligence a little bit this morning just before the video there. What does leading diligently look like for you personally in your role and in, in the various platforms of leadership, right? Because you're not just the mayor. You're also a father. You're also in, in other organizations. So what does leading diligently look like for you? Well, I think to me the, the, the core of diligence is being faithful uh, and being unwavering and determined. And the last two or three years, there's been a lot of folks, uh, myself included, <laughs> who have been close to giving up at times and questioning God's, uh, uh, God's plan. Uh, I know my, my brother's a pastor. I shared that with you. It's been hard for pastors. It's been hard for people in healthcare. Uh, it's been hard for political leaders to manage through the incredibly tense last couple years we've been through. But diligent leadership is persevering, uh, is trusting in God's plan, uh, is not giving up, uh, but also um, realizing that you need to surround yourself with other people who need to help, help you get through hard times. And uh, in the last three years, have been full of hard times. So diligence is just, uh, I call it stick-to-itiveness, you know, and perseverance and, uh, and staying faithful to the calling and the path that God has put you on. I think that's what diligent leadership looks like. And in, in a world where right now it's, it's very easy to quit, it's like, hey, I, our, our society says, hey, you don't like this? You don't like your job? Get a different job. It's not going well? Just quit. Do something else. No. Sometimes you have to stick with that and say, you know what, God, you planted me here for a reason. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay diligent to this calling. Uh, even when it's difficult at times. Yeah, thank you. Very well said. Um, what, what would you say, how have you grown as a leader uh, over the years? What are the inputs? What are the things, the sources of leadership growth for you uh, that have been influential? Maybe individuals, maybe uh, practices, things like that have helped you stay diligent as a leader and lead well. You know, I think one of the, one of the best qualities you can have as a leader and it's very hard to just acquire this through books and through uh, podcasts and blogs. You actually have to live it out, and that is trying to gain empathy mm -hmm. uh, and understand what, really understand and put yourself in other people's situations. And until uh, I became the mayor a little over five years ago, um, I'll, I'll be honest, I had a little bubble. I had a church life, and I had a friendship circle, and, and I wasn't exposed to a lot of this community that I am now. And so being able to go up to the penitentiary, you know, a few times a year, you know, and meet with those guys and being able to go to some of the elementary schools, some of the title schools that my kids don't go to and see some of the challenges that we have in some of those schools. Uh, I think immersing yourself in situations that are out of your comfort zone is really when you can start to grow as a leader and change your perspectives. Uh, yoking yourself with people who don't always think like you. Uh, our society's telling us right now that, hey, Mark, you and I disagree on this. That means I hate you. You're not a good person. We're different. I don't want to spend any time with you. Rather, I want to spend more time with you. Help me understand your position on, on abortion. Help me understand your position on racial justice issues. We may disagree, which is fine, but it's helping me maybe shift my opinion a little bit and uh, helping me gain a, a level of empathy and understanding that I maybe didn't have before. Yeah, I really like that. And I think, you know, that resonates with some things that we feel as believers, you know, that it's easy to get into that bubble, so to speak, with your church family and, and just have your own little world. And, and yet there's a world outside that that you don't have influence with until you go to them and get close to them and seek to understand and gain empathy. So I, I think that's really well said. And I think that 
dovetails nicely with what we're talking about today. And you see that in the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't just shout at us from heaven. He came. He lived this human experience with us and for us. Um, so what, what would you say has been your greatest challenge as a leader, whether that's the last five years, the last two months or whatever, what's, what would you say has been your, your greatest challenge as a leader? I would say uh, leading right now through the culture wars that we're living in as a, as a country is really challenging um, because we are, we are told daily through social media and through TV news uh, and through email newsletters, everything, we're supposed to be mad. We're supposed to be mad about the Supreme Court. We're supposed to be mad about politicians. Uh, we're supposed to be mad about our climate or we're just angry. And so trying to lead a city, 210,000 people, all of which have different opinions on all those issues, is really hard. Sure. Uh, so how do you lead people when you say, I disagree with your position. I'm going to take a different position. I still love you. You're still made in the image of God. I don't hate you. But we just disagree on this. Yeah. Leading uh, such a diverse community is hard. You know, when, when we come in this room, you're a leader of this church, and you know at least at the core base, there's, they're all believers in this room. So you know you at least have that in common. You may disagree on certain issues, but you know you're all people of faith at the core. Um, once you go into your workplace, for instance, the only thing you have in common is you all get a paycheck from the same employer. So trying to lead those people of all those different opinions and ideals is really, really challenging. And I think that's gotten even harder for leaders over the last few years, which is why we're seeing fewer and fewer people who are willing to step into positions of leadership. Yeah, that's a great point and kind of a good segue. Like, what do you see as the greatest leadership need or the greatest opportunity for the average person in Sioux Falls to step up and to have influence? Where, where is influence needed most and how can the average person play a part in moving things in the right direction? You know, it, it's probably something if you've if you've followed me at all or uh, followed what I've talked about the last few years, this won't be a surprise, but I'm just very bullish on mentorship. Uh, and I just see that, especially I look at, you know, the people in this room who are people of faith, uh, who all have skills to be a mentor. Uh, a mentor doesn't mean you have to be a leader or have a job title or who have reached a pinnacle in your life. You all have a skill that can be put to work today in our community in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone else. And I think that's what God calls us to do. I think Christ modeled mentorship uh, during his entire time on earth. And so a lot of times we think leadership means a title. I'm a senior pastor. I'm a mayor. I'm a chief executive. But uh, leadership is influence and influence is mentorship. And so I really always encourage people look for someone in your community uh, whether it's a kid, whether it's an immigrant family. There's a guy coming out of prison. I just got an email yesterday. Uh, he's going to be out in three weeks. He's become a great welder behind the walls. And he needs to get a job because if he doesn't get a job as a welder, he's going to fall back into some bad decisions. And so I talked to Gene Jones at McGuire Iron yesterday. I'm like, Gene, we got to get this guy a job because uh, if he doesn't get a job, he's going to be in a bad spot. Gene's going to hook him up with a job. That's mentorship. Right. Uh, those opportunities exist all over our community. 
Yeah, and even for our congregation, we have the partnership with Cleveland Elementary where you can mentor a young boy or girl at Cleveland and, and set that up. We have our partnership with community outreach and the financial men mentoring through the Genesis program. Lots of different on-ramps. So if you're interested or inspired, uh, talk to us. Put it on your connection card. Let us know. Last question. I'll, I'll give you a softball here. What are you excited about with the Global Leadership Summit and, and what are you planning to share? Uh, give us a little, a little taste of, of what you're going to share at the summit. Well, the latter question, I'm going to share about what authentic leadership looks like. Uh, and a big part of that is just being vulnerable. I think when you're vulnerable as a leader, uh, it's one of the best qualities you can have. Um, we, we kind of show off in our strengths, but we connect in our weaknesses. I think that's really when you start to connect with people. So I'm going to talk about that. But why this Global Leadership Summit is so cool is a lot of the speakers that are part of this uh, are Christians and have faith-based messages that are woven through it. It's not an overly overt Christian conference, right. but you will pick up on the Christian themes and the faith-based themes that are thread through a lot of those conversations, um, which if you try to uh, attend conferences with each of those speakers individually, uh, you'd need a second mortgage on your house. So to, to be able to bring them all together uh, in one day is really phenomenal. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. Well, thank you. I, uh, join me in thanking uh, thank Mayor thank Paul thank Tenhaken for being with us. Thanks again. All right. Well, as we seek to kind of bring things to a close here, I'll remind you of our bottom line. The Good Shepherd wants us to be good shepherds. He wants us to leverage the influence that we have to benefit the lives of others. And I believe passionately that leadership's highest usage or highest purpose is to advance the purposes of God in this world. I will go to the mat on that one. I think that's the most important thing we can do as leaders and with leadership. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is less noble, less important. Doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't mean that it's off base. But leadership's highest purpose is to advance the purposes of God in this world. And our leadership is a matter of eternal life and death. Like when we get it right, when we lead well as believers, as followers of Christ, as shepherds under the good shepherd, when we get it right, eternities change. And when we miss opportunities or we waste the influence that we have or we squander it or we lead poorly, that can have an eternal impact as well. Christ-like leadership leverages the influence that we have for the benefit of others, not just ourselves. And so, we can see Jesus leading diligently. We can see him leading perfectly. We can see him struggling, wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane and choosing to surrender his will for the will of the Father. And as we do, we can be inspired to, to be good shepherds of those around us, to steward the influence we have well. Now, for some of you, that might mean you need to be a part of the summit. Maybe the Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, this one's for you. Maybe it's to pray for the summit. Maybe it's to serve at the summit. Maybe it's to attend the summit. Maybe it's to do all three. Maybe it's to share the summit with somebody else and invite them to be a part of it. Maybe you're a person of some means and you could sponsor somebody from our congregation that, that can't afford to go to be an attender of the summit. If that's you, please speak out. Please talk to me. We don't want dollars to be the reason somebody doesn't come to the summit. We'll figure that out. There's a QR code that's going to be on the screen. This is an easy way to, 
to sign up for the summit. It's an easy way to share the summit with somebody else. It's got all the information at the website that we've set up for our location specifically. And you'll see that there's a special rate that we get now through the end of the month that brings it back to the lowest possible public rate. There's also great rates for first responders, for nurses, for, for um, educators. Like if you know somebody in those areas, they really want them to be at the summit. If you have an employer that you could talk to about maybe bringing a group, we can help get a group rate. So don't let this kind of just fizzle out and be, oh, that's what we did on Sunday. Take the next step. Sign up at the tables in the lobby right outside the doors there to the left. There's a place where you can serve. And if you serve for a morning, you can stay for the day. If you serve in the afternoon, you can come all day. There's ways that we can get you through the doors and help you to gain this information, gain this experience. There's also signups for our car show. I know, like, you're like, car show? That's a long ways away. No, it's a car show community picnic. We do it every year in September. That's like two months away. And so we're, we're raising awareness. If you want to volunteer for that as well, there's all kinds of ways that you can take the next step and you can use the influence that you have to move things forward for the kingdom of God. That's our hope and prayer. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you are the good shepherd, that you laid down your life for us. And we recognize clearly in scripture that you want us to be good shepherds too. You want us to lead and guide and protect and leverage the influence that we have for the benefit of others. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll help each and every one of us, whether we're sitting in the room here, whether we're listening online, whether we're watching this live or at some point in the future, that we would take our leadership seriously. We would recognize it's a stewardship. And we're accountable for how we steward the influence that you've given us over ourselves, over those close to us, and over the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.